Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica Kumar. In 2006, I first came to India for work and basically never looked back. My journey took me through learning Hindi, living in multiple parts of India, and after a few years, I met The Invisible India podcast isn't just a place where I share about being married to an Indian, being a foreigner in India, the language learning process, and cross-cultural parenting. But it is a platform to highlight the lesser-known aspects of Indian culture by featuring stereotype-breaking Indians making waves in society. So chaliye, headphone laga ke suniye hamare saath. Namaste, kya hal chal hai? Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica Kumar, your host, creator, founder, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> Happy belated holy and happy St. Patrick's Day, whatever you celebrate, whatever you don't celebrate. Welcome and I'm glad you're here. Some people have been asking, "Oh Jessica, when are you headed back to India? Have you shifted to the US? Are you there permanently?" Uh tell us. So, here's the deal. I am here in the states for a couple more months. We came last year in 2021 and we're staying through the school year so that our kids can go to school without lockdowns and all that, shutdowns and whatnot. So, we are really glad that we had this time in the states. We've been working remotely and I honestly have to say it's been very challenging <laughs> to do that for many, many months. and we're definitely ready to get back to india um secret actually abhi shakes in india right now <laughs> by the time this releases he will be mid air on the way back to the states and then we'll be heading back all as a family together in a few months so tickets are booked we are ready to head back lots of exciting things going on wanted to chat first my hindi course has launched the course just launched a few days ago and already i've been really pleased with the results and some of the questions and comments people have had i want to run through a couple of faqs about the course before i get into the episode the things that people have asked about the hindi hacks you never know you needed the first thing that people have been asking is what's included in the course it's about a total of 40 minutes of instruction most online courses are between like 15 to 60 minutes so it's 40 minutes it includes nine videos five audio files that you can use with frozen phrases hey you want to learn how to say this download it on your phone listen to it right before you talk to someone and you try to repeat the, what i just said on that the topics are you can see on the website it's learn-hindi-anywhere.teachable.com again that's learn-hindi-anywhere.teachable.com or you can go to my normal website invisibleindiapodcast.com and you can see all of the curriculum and everything that it includes there we talk about verbs we talk about asking questions we talk about focusing on the familial aspects of what's actually important to learn in Hindi. We learn about what's not important to learn in Hindi. <laughs> it also includes a PDF which is a Hindi learning guide and it includes two printable handouts with some of the things that I discussed. It has plenty of things to get you started. Gotten good feedback so far. Question number 2, what level is the course for? This is definitely a beginner course or if you are a non-speaking intermediate, 
this also may help. For example, like if you know a lot of vocabulary or if you understand a decent amount of Hindi, but you can't really say anything, like it doesn't come out of your mouth when you try, uh, this would be a good place to start. Try to start speaking and getting up the courage to speak. Third question I've gotten, what methodology is it based off of? This course is based pretty much off of the way that I've seen people be most successful in getting fluent, which is the GPA method, the growing participant approach. But I take that approach and I informalize it a little bit and I cut through to some of the things that I think are most important and the things that I've seen people have most success with in learning first. So what are the five verbs you need to learn first? What are the questions that you should learn to ask if you're going to try to have a conversation with someone. I made a couple of recordings of frozen phrases that you can literally just memorize. Like even if you don't know the whole grammar structure, just memorize these things and like blurt them out to people and see what their response is. <laughs> Last thing, this is my first course. There is more to come. This is in no way comprehensive. This is not going to teach you all of Hindi. This is a starting place. And it's to show you how to listen for particular and important Hindi concepts to get you on the right foot. So I would highly advise you to sign up before April 11th. There are a number of deals going on online. If you watch my social media pages or other uh, social media linguistics accounts, you will notice there are some discounts that are going to be happening that have already happened if you know where to look. And if you know about my newsletter, wink, wink, I highly suggest you sign up for that if you're interested in this course and interested in not paying full price before April 11th. <laughs> you know where to find my newsletter on my website on the main page. You literally just put your email and your name in. And um, whenever I send out my newsletter, I will be including the information that you're looking for. All right. Today is episode 71 with Devika Kariapa. She is an award-winning children's author with Tulika Books Publisher. If you have looked around in bilingual or Indian authored books, you know about Tulika. Tulika is one of the leading children's publishers in South Asia. Devika uses her background in history and archaeology to creatively communicate with a young audience. Her first book, India Through Archaeology, Excavating History, encourages children to explore Indian history through the lens of archaeology. It was awarded the Hindu Young World Good Books Award 2008 and the Sahita Akademi's Bal Sahita Puraskar 2019. She is the author of India Through People, 25 Game Changers, about the courageous men and women who left an imprint on the course of modern India. The Adventures of Kohinoor, Jagannath, which is an adaptation of William Dalrymple and Anita Anand's book, Kohinoor and Uncle Nehru, Please Send an Elephant, a picture book for young readers on Nehru's Elephant Diplomacy. The Adventures of the Kohinoor is on the Neve Book Awards 2021 shortlist. Please spend some time with me getting to know Devika in this episode. Before we start, I also want to share a super important piece of information. Tulika Publishers has offered a discount to listeners of the podcast 
There is going to be a link here in the show notes on my website. But if you use the code India on their website, tulikabooks.com, you can get a deal. This is for folks outside of India specifically. They're giving a 10% discount on orders above $40 and free shipping internationally. This is a great deal. So get a whole bunch of books for you, your family members, friends, load yourself up. Definitely look at Devika's books as well. I personally love the bilingual books. They have a lot, like several, like dozens of bilingual books out there. Many of them I talk about in my Hindi Learner's Guide, which is currently only available for those enrolled in the Hindi Hacks course, but will possibly be available in the next few months for everyone else. Don't forget to use the code India on tulikabooks.com. That's T-U-L-I-K-A books.com. You get 10% on orders above 40 bucks and free shipping internationally. Okay, let's get on with episode 71 with Devika Kariapa. Namaste Sablog, welcome to the Invisible India podcast. Today I have Devika Kariapa, who is an author published with Tulika Publishers and others as well. She is going to be speaking today about several of her books, and I'm so glad to have her joining us. Welcome so much, Devika. Thank you, Jessica. And I'm, I'm really pleased to be here because I've seen some of the work that you've done, and I'm, I'm quite honored that you've invited me onto your portal. You do amazing work. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm really humbled that you took the time to listen to uh, to some of our shows before you came on. So I just want to give an intro to you. Um, first of all, Tulika is one of the leading children's publishers in South Asia. Devika particularly is an award-winning children's author who uses her background in hist- history and archaeology to creatively communicate with a young audience. So that is a very impressive bio. I'm so excited to talk more with you. This is part of a series of um, Indian literature and language and culture that we're doing on the show. So uh, would you like to add anything a little bit about yourself before uh, I just want to get to know a little bit about you and um, we'll get into more of your books in a bit, but um, how did you become an author? Anything else you'd like to share with us? You know, it's been a long journey. So I've done a lot of things along the way, but this is the one that has given me the most satisfaction. I knew in my heart that I always wanted to do over the years. So we could stick with this. And if other things come up along the way, we could discuss them as well. Great. So I think one of the things I'm really interested in is hearing how did you become an author? How long do we have? It goes back to when I was doing my master's in archaeology, which is now more years than I care to think about. I think about 30 years ago, I was in this deeply academic environment where I was learning how our histories are knowledge of our histories are constructed using archaeological means. And it's a very serious environment with a lot of, you know, artifacts, bones, dry as dust facts and enjoyable, but very dry. And I started seeing in them stories which had um, elements of sort of drama and uh, adventure, excitement, romance, a lot of things that I thought even then would appeal to children. And I started uh, to my, in my head, even though I was in this very academic environment, I started thinking about 
how these stories could be possibly written down for children because it's a, it's a, a academic work typically does not get translated not even for the common reading public let alone children so a very long time ago i thought about things like that and there were extraordinary tales like you know when you think um you know a geologist is walking along a dry river bed and he suddenly finds stone tools which are the oldest tools uh, tools made by humanity uh in a river in uh, a river bed in south india or on a hunch an archaeologist um, gets out of a train and discovers the world's largest open air prehistoric art gallery you know dramatic things like that or uh, one of my favorites is when 19th century explorers and uh, you know uh, many of them are british from the east india company would find little indications little artifacts that eventually led to the discovery of one of the most sophisticated civilizations in the world um, you know people who pushed back india's known history at that point by more than 2000 years they were the harappans so these were very dramatic uh, sort of ideas and my challenge at that point was to find an entry point how do i tell these stories to children without all these other technical facts and dry dry facts that do come up in history and archaeology so it sort of mulled in my head for many years and i started writing these little vignettes of of uh, archaeology uh, i'll give you an example i used you know there's a very dramatic headless statue of kanishka in the mathura museum i used that as an entry point to to uh, to explain what india's position was on the silk road or uh, to talk about gandhara and mathura art or i used hero stones which are very common in south india you find them just lying around on on not street corners but definitely on the roads on the highways you see them what sort of uh, events happened in their lives ordinary people not kings and queens but ordinary people so i started writing all these down and again serendipity you know i i sent it to i sent a few of them to tulika at the point that tulika was looking to put together what they call the india focus series of books which is uh learning about india through various subjects topics like it could be geography or history or so they said what about india through archaeology and that's how the book started and hmm. that was my first published book i had been publishing non fiction and fiction earlier but my heart was really in non fiction so hmm. that was my first book interesting i imagine a long journey <laughs> yes i imagine you must must have published a number of uh, archaeological journal type of uh things before that so how is that transition to children's literature um again a lot of other things were happening in my life by then i'd had a couple of children myself and i'd moved more times than i care to remember i was a, i was a military spouse so from one end of the country to the other and my academic work was um was i i was a research associate in the indira gandhi center for the arts i specialized in prehistoric art and i had to leave it at that because i moved too often for it to be very productive so it was a call that i took and it gave me great pleasure i i it's sadness to leave the academic field of archaeology but pleasure that i had something that was still connected with history and archaeology which are 
eventually my first loves. No, I mean, I love my children too, but <laughs> oh, my first love, <laughs> I love my family, I should say. But um, <laughs> it, it was a privilege to be able to be given that at the point where I was uh, rather heartbreakingly leaving the world of academics. Hmm. So it all kind of came in slow steps and kind of progressed to that. So given your very different background from what I assume uh, several other children's authors may have, they might have been in journalism, they might have been in creative writing, they might have been in media of some sorts. Um, I'm very curious to hear from your perspective, what are your thoughts about the state of children's literature in India as from your point of view? Do you think there's uh, different areas which you'd like to see expand? Would you, uh, anything that you think is missing? Indian children's literature has, well, firstly, it's as rich and vibrant as India is because, uh, you know, the Sahitya Academy recognizes 24 languages. Like when I got the award, it was along with 23 other people who were being awarded for their literature in their languages. So Mm -hmm. it's very vibrant Mm -hmm. and it has a long history, you know, uh, right from the days of the Jataka tales to the Panchatantra to to the Bengali, a very well-known Bengali sort of body of children's literature. But it's come a long way from the times when it was more sort of didactic, moralizing tales that were sort of thrown at children and they were expected to sort of imbibe Mm remarkable publishers, one among them, of course, was Tolika, but there are many others now who are really well-known and open to new ideas and exploring uh, different subjects, very inclusive, and there are equally talented authors and illustrators. So the scene is really vibrant. It's a great time to be a children's author, and uh, it's a great time to be a reading child. Uh, but if I had to say that if something were to be missing, I would say it would be the way the marketing, for instance, if an Indian parent walked into a shop, they would ask perhaps for the latest um, titles that have come from the West, maybe Harry Potter, Percy Jackson. It mm. sort of rolls off their tongue. But sure. uh, there are equally interesting Indian authors who yes. are just not very well-known names to Indians as, as yet. Right. They could ask for Paro Anand, or they could ask for Anushka Ravi Shankar, who are absolutely fabulous uh, writers. But that has not quite happened. So hmm. I think that if, if I were to wish one thing to happen to Indian publishing today, uh, children's publishing, it would be that there should be more exposure. Hmm. The parents are, are very... Um, open to the idea of buying books for their children. There could be more lit fests. There could be more uh, review portals. There could be more awards. And there could be a recognition that children's literature is a genre in itself, not mm. just a sort of an extension of what is done for, for adults. You know, mm. it's a whole genre in itself. The children are certainly up for it. And yeah. uh, of course, being the kind of country that India is, there is also the accessibility to children who perhaps can't buy very expensive books. So mobile libraries, uh, cheaper books, bilingual books. Tulika, you know, publishes in eight languages. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's fantastic. And Pratham has a portal which has uh, 
some of the rarest languages in India on a free portal, digital portal mm. for children who perhaps won't have access to even bookshops. So they just go online and it's free to, uh, they can pick up and use the material. It's copyright free. They can uh, adapt the material to their needs. I'll post the link definitely on my, um, on the show notes for that Pratham portal. One of the things is you're talking about the, the struggle of Indian parents coming in. Well, I guess, first of all, there's all these other challenges, right? Of accessibility, of, uh, also, just maybe the desire to actually read books to their children rather than give you the mobile. Um, I guess my question, one thing that you alluded to was that some people have this idea that the Western books are are somehow uh, more popular or better. And so how can we, I guess, uh, it's a very sad thing to hear for me that, uh, of course, that, uh, but how do you think we can overcome that? in the Indian market is really understanding that Indian authors have a lot to offer and that we should be, we, I'm putting myself in the category <laughs> as an Indian parent. Uh, I'm a parent of Indian children. Um, but how can we overcome that kind of mentality? Yeah, we are competing with screen, screen time and screen space and everything. But I think the solution to that would probably lie with the, uh, you know, the, I was talking about marketing and distribution, the accessibility that parents have. And, it, you know, explaining to them or putting it to them that there is this whole body of work, which is children's literature. And by that, um, by that kind of exposure, they come to know about all these wonderful authors and illustrators. The illustrators are also absolutely wonderful. So, you know, for the younger children, um, I'm not sure how much of space the bookshop would have. Like if you walk into an Indian bookshop, typically you would see all these up front. You would see the Western titles very glossily out in front and the Indian authors somewhere tucked away in the back shelves, if at all. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So perhaps that needs to be done. And again, there are a lot of parenting um, websites and so on that can perhaps pass this on, but it's a sort of a drop in the ocean. It's a huge country and the market for children's books is huge. So I guess a lot needs to be done on that um, score, you know. I don't know how um, publishers, uh, what their margins are like. They don't have marketing uh, uh, budgets that are so huge, like all these multinational uh, companies that have joined up, to, you know, to market uh, the glossier looking books. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting as you talk about the uh, the different books that have been published, particularly with Turika, who published in eight languages, and the bilingual books. That's been something that for our family has been hugely valuable as we're, um, uh, you know, making an effort to reinforce Hindi learning in our home. And that's one of the things that I've been trying to do through my network is encourage parents to really take seriously these uh, bilingual or just single vernacular books, uh, non-English books in particular, because these are ways that the children can connect in a fun way. And uh, you and I both know that in so many parts of India, there are there's a, a language loss happening as everyone tries to run towards English as fast as they can. And um, really, I think, connecting deeply with 
Indian languages is is something that I'm very passionate about. And so that's one of the reasons why I I want to, uh, I recommend Tulika and why I wanted to speak with you is because I think it is so important to tell these Indian stories and then also tell them through a variety of uh, vernacular in India. When it comes to children's literature in India, is there anything else? Is there any uh, specific area which you'd, you'd like to see grow as far as the content? Um, content. Um you know, it, it's it's being covered very rapidly. Like, uh, for instance, a few years ago, a nonfiction book like Mind would have been a great risk because, uh, first of all, it's very expensive and it's a very beautifully designed book and it's got it's very glossy and it's full of photographs and gra- uh, maps and illustrations and graphics and so on. So the risk-taking is very much there. And in terms of uh, topics that have been covered, now, again, these wonderful publishers are of two years ago, you wouldn't have had such inclusive topics. Now they're covering, uh, you know, gender bias and uh, uh, what do you call those identities, uh, gender identities, when you, you're not quite, I, I'm not quite sure what the term is. And there are very edgy young adult books, which uh, really speak in very graphic ways to young adults. So the risk-taking is very much there. So I'm not sure. And, and of course, there's a whole lot of absolutely fun, completely fun uh, element of all the picture books that are coming out now. So I'm not really sure what else could be, could be uh, added onto that body. I think now it's time for the gatekeepers of children's reading to make those accessible to their children and allow them to pick out what they would like to read for their own pleasure, rather than sort of uh, connecting it with their education or their, uh, you know, this is good for you, that will increase your vocabulary uh, kind of a situation. That why you read fiction was because it would probably increase your vocabulary. <laughs> so I think now is the time for gatekeepers to step out and do their bit because the publishers are doing it, the authors and uh, illustrators are doing it to the best of their abilities. Um, I mean, did you have something in mind that you, you're you a mother of young children, so do you find yeah. that there's something that they would like to see themselves or is that a... I, I often buy Hindi books for my children. And I like some of the simplistic stories uh, that have to do with nature, that have to do with pets. Um, I would like to see more books that include, you know, conflict between, uh, I guess, I don't know, like classes almost, I would say, uh, like dealing with classism. I think that's something that is kind of largely, I haven't found mm. books that deal with that necessarily of how you deal with the fact that, and maybe this is just something that's innate for most um, people who were born and raised in India of just kind of understanding how the hierarchy among wealth and um, poverty really in, in another extreme kind of plays out and how do people kind of just internalize that in a sense. How they rationalize How that, rationalize. Yeah. yeah, how do you just kind of uh, internalize that in a, in a way and live that out? I would like to see some more of, of that. And I think challenging some of these issues, uh, talking more about feminism, about gender bias. I think these are all huge topics that need to be covered. The marginalized voices of both the children as well as the authors. 
that's really important and that again boils down to language because a marginalized child right would not necessarily read in english so you have to put out something in their whatever their language is or their mother tongue or their whatever their native speak is and the authors who come from those communities as well need to be published i think that's that's Certainly. very important uh, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah one question i have for you is i think as we're looking at especially now with covid and all this and how how what a what a disaster that has been for um education uh, for for children particularly those who's who aren't able to do you know the online schooling and whatnot with their parents um i'm just wondering you know there there seems to be an ob- an observation that i have as a mother of young kids is that there's this mentality of study 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 you know books are for study books are not for fun Poro, poro, poro. You know, that's it. So I've noticed that um, I don't have that attitude with books with my kids. Books are very fun books. I read for fun. They see me laying in the bed reading books. They see me in the morning flipping through something. Um, so they've taken on that attitude. But I think overall in India, I've noticed that books are not for fun as much uh, for the most of the people. And so I'm just curious how, what kind of a cultural shift needs to happen in order for the mass majority of people to learn to read for fun? I think with Indian parents, the only thing that will work is if you throw the research at them. <laughs> because, you know, the research has shown, if you, do, if you don't put the research out there, the gatekeepers in India will never budge because cannot read fiction and go to uh, become an engineer or a doctor. That is the mentality. So you have to show them the research, which is thankfully there is a lot of it that shows that reading for pleasure is one of the primary building blocks of any child's intellectual development, whether it's uh, learning skills or vocabulary or emotional development or um, uh, just just generally becoming an empathetic and a good citizen who can contribute to social and cultural life. So I think once you put that research out there in an accessible form where it's all broken down into, uh, you know, if you let your children read for pleasure, these are the benefits. I mean, it sounds very simplistic, but I think that was would probably be the most effective way because they are the ones who are buying the books for the children. And unless they're convinced, they're not going to buy those books or give that child access or the leisure to read. Or just pick out something, anything silly and read uh, for themselves by their own choice hmm. and sort of trigger their imagination and hence their intellect. Hmm. So research, uh, creating a wonderful open reading environment and perhaps because everyone can't afford these books uh you know, things like mobile libraries and um, free access some, somehow mm. that can be done by individuals or groups of people, NGOs. There are a lot of people doing the wonderful work all over. So it's a sort of a combined, like a military operation. Everyone who is involved in the world of books, it's got to be a four or five pronged sort of attack on the gatekeepers of children's reading <laughs> is what I visualize that. And, mm. I, and I use this metaphor a, a lot whenever it, it sort of occurs to me, like, you know, the tiger, they're trying to save the tiger 
And if you save the tiger, the whole ecosystem around the tiger is also saved. Mm-hmm. So reading is the tiger of the intellectual world uh, of a child. Yes. So what better education do you want than your child's intellect to be so stimulated? And it's a, it's for life. It's not just for that entrance yes. exam or whatever it is that you're aiming for. So mm. I think that's a wonderful note to end on. And I think I love that analogy. That's going to stick with me for a while <laughs> is the reading is the tiger within the ecosystem that uh, needs to be saved. And uh, we don't realize all the other benefits that we'll get yes. from also saving that. So, Absolutely. well, yeah. Is there anything else, any other closing thoughts you have uh, before we wrap up? No, I think this is, I, I would, I am the greatest fan of allowing children or just letting children be with mm. their books, just pick mm-hmm. out what they want. And I think reading for pleasure is one of the greatest uh, gifts that a child can can get in their life. So I, I think that's a, that's a great, happy way to end. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you, much. Jessica. Thank you, And keep up all the good work. Thank you. You can find Devika's books on Tulika Publishers. I, I also have a link in the description which shows Devika's books, how you can find them, and uh, a special code that you can use for special pricing on Dulika Publishers. So please feel free to go ahead and check out these incredible books. There are many bilingual resources available there as well. So, Noste, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.